Hi, I'm Ali. And I'm Penny, and you're listening to Not Too Busy to Write. The podcast about writing, publishing and creativity amongst life's many other demands. I am joined today by um, the writer Rebecca Schiller, who is the co-founder of human rights charity Birthrights. She's a freelance journalist. She's the author of four books, including The No Guilt Pregnancy Plan and her latest Earthed, which is a memoir about returning to the land. She's also uh, the founder of Mothers Who Write, which began life as an in-person writing retreats for Mothers Who Write and is now expanding into an online community, which I'm very excited about. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Oh, thank you so much for, for having me. And um, I, when you gave that introduction, I now realise why I feel so tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? When you say things all in one go, um, yeah, it, it can be overwhelming. But also, I mean, you know, wonderful and amazing. And what a journey that you've been on as well. Um, and let's talk first about Earthed. Um, I've got the 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 real copy here I had a proof but now I have the real copy and I thought the proof was beautiful the oh my goodness the hardback is absolutely stunning um for anyone listening it's it's a um it's a matte cover in watercolors and I know the artist who did it um who was the artist who Anna Fuster Anna Fuster she made all the watercolors from plants on your um small holdings right she did she did um oh, I mean it, it's the most um that shouldn't judge a book by its cover is <laughs> is is such it's actually a, a really I, there's I think there's no truth in it when it comes to books because um my experience of working with an amazing publisher and also me being so dedicated to the project and us caring about every detail of it mm-hmm. is why um the book is so beautiful because it, it, there are so many layers to why it looks the way it does and who has been involved in it. Um, Anna, who made the cover, is a, a doctor of English literature who got into making um, art when she was studying, um, uh, researching how um, the Bloomsbury women use the printing press. And she taught herself to use a printing press and she's taught herself to be um, a liner cut artist. And it's all through um you know this uh, desire to learn more and understand the sort of physicality of books so you can go in so many directions just with why the cover is the way, the way oh, it is and it is it's so it's just absolutely stunning and it so um fits with the content of the book and obviously the earthiness and the being tied to the land in every possible way um and also you know it's funny I put it in on my shelf next to to my book and it's it's got a really similar matte cover and it's the same size and they fit perfectly together to be together absolutely um so let's talk about Earthed first. Um, it's your fourth book, but let's talk about that first. Um, uh, first of all, I mean, it is, it is such a magnificent book. And I think the thing that I loved about it so much was that you take this idea of a memoir of, of, of going off to land and actually it's really twisted. It's turned around because, you know, the usual narrative that we understand about, you know, going back to the land is that all our problems are solved when we move to the land. And yes, it's challenging, but, you know, everything is turned around. And actually part of what happens when you return to the land was actually everything unraveled. Do you want to talk about that for a moment? Absolutely. I mean, I, I always struggle to sum up what the book is about. Um, I think authors 
do you know they wrote I wrote 87,000 words so I'm going to find it challenging to describe <laughs> it in, in in two sentences um but I I think I'm realizing that one of the, the key things that it turned out to be about is um, really confounding the idea that um, some kind of external goal or dream is going to make everything okay. Mm. That that's what life is about. You know, find the thing, the job that you're good at, the lifestyle you want, the relationship, the, you know, being a parent or not being a parent. And, and, and that will be the thing. And once you've got that, um, and in a big way for me, moving here to the small holding was trying to shoehorn lots of problems and lots of desires together in one solution, which is the way my brain works. You know, reasonably, I, you know, I don't see things individually. I always see them as interrelated. And this to me felt like it was the perfect solution to everything. Um, and realizing that the problem was was me um, and I had come to the small holding and so that wasn't going to go away mm. um, and, and once we were here all of the things that had been problematic when I just had three three jobs and two children and various other things were more problematic because now I had goats and chickens and two acres to work and fences to mend and much less money and much less time um, and the exploring the complexity of that of loving being somewhere loving and believing in the decisions you've made but also realizing that they are completely breaking you at the same time i feel like you've just summed up my experience of parenthood in general <laughs> <laughs> which is you know this idea that i don't regret it and i absolutely love it but it is also the thing that is possibly going to break me um but yeah, no, I loved that. And that is, was so, that message came across so loud and clear to me when I read the book, this idea that we do, I think as a society, um, in the stories we tell and the stories we consume, but also in what we tell ourselves, we, we do pin our hopes of solving life's problems with external factors. Um, and yet I think oh, it's almost like we have to relearn that over and over again. And I think this is, in a way, Earth is it's like a big, is a big, massive learning. Um, and so um, is it too much of a spoiler to talk about um, the process you went through as um, during the book of um, exploring a diagnosis? No, no, it's not. I mean, okay. I, I... I can't remember uh, at what point you mentioned <laughs> the book, but... <laughs> yeah, so it is. I mean, it's sort of it, it, in, you know, if you if you read the book, someone's described it as a sort of mystery. And, and I think if you could make sure that nobody had ever heard anything about the book, but they were all going to read it anyway, I would keep the diagnosis secret. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's been a big part of us talking about it in the publicity and actually a really important part of awareness raising. So I'm... Yeah. I'm about it. So... So it becomes clear to you throughout throughout the course of, of Earth that um, that you need to explore more about what's going on with you, and that in itself was such an interesting process because your experience in the NHS um, was was incredibly infuriating. And I know it can be really challenging for you know people like you and me to, to kind of criticise the NHS in any way because, of course, we're so grateful for it, and it is so brilliant and wonderful, and the individuals who work in it are brilliant and dedicated and wonderful. But, you know, I've had experiences with a disabled child and you've had experiences yourself with um, reaching out and getting nothing back. Um, and you can so clearly see through your experience, the way you tell it, how easily we're dismissed. And, um, and perhaps that's partly also being a woman 
Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think this really funny <laughs> and how and how we're treated by doctors as well. But I think it's a process as well of um, of the NHS in general being very good at fixing people and um, making sick people better, but not necessarily being able to um, understand and support people who have ongoing challenges. Yeah, and and I think funnily enough, what we were just talking about in terms of how we're kind of taught that life is and what we're supposed to be doing and solution and goal focused is replicated in the medical model, um, which does a very good job of finding a, a cause and, and, and trying to either cure it or keep it contained um, in loads of scenarios. I'm a big fan of the NHS. My dad, um, uh, you know, is only recently retired as a doctor. I spent my childhood living in the, in the dark room in uh, <laughs> where my mum was a radiographer. Um, and, um, you know, the work I've done with birthrights has all been about, you know, working with midwives, obstetricians and policymakers on improving care for women and birthing people insisting on safe and respectful care but that does involve pointing out this Mm. system and and how that then can turn into problems in individual scenarios and even though I have spent years and years and years knowing as much as I possibly could about how to advocate what your rights Mm. are as a don't like the word patient you know how when I was in the system when I was in the position of being um, needing to be a, a patient in the mental health system, I was completely unable to advocate for myself in lots of scenarios. And it was very interesting to see how powerless I was. That's so interesting. And I'm sure with your work with birthrights, um, you've seen that probably so often with women who are pregnant or new mothers who also maybe in other parts and times of their lives are able to advocate for themselves but in that position are suddenly come up against a brick wall and can't find their way through it Um, and that comes across so beautifully in the book Um, and something I recognize so much as a mother who's been through this with a child as well you know this idea of like um waiting and seeing it's like implications that it's in your head implications that it's your fault implications that you're not personally doing enough to um to kind of manage symptoms or manage difficulties or challenges um and so when you did finally get that diagnosis of adhd um did, was it did it take a long time to process that diagnosis or was it a bit of a light switch on everything's starting to make a bit more sense uh can i say both um (laughs) of course you can (laughs) uh that's my answer to everything um i mean as soon as i i i was the one who was like oh hang on a minute maybe it's this and as soon as i started obsessively researching it a light bulb went Mm. off when i got the diagnosis officially that light bulb got a bit brighter but i'm now sort of what 15 16 months on from that and I'm absolutely still I would say in the early stages of processing it um, and because it's been 38 years yeah of living in a certain way and, and and trying to unpick which of the things are my ADHD stuff which is just the Rebecca stuff and which is the things that I've invented and done in order to mask the ADHD mm. and cope with it 
is really, really, really challenging. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say, I think that last one is a really big one. And this is something I'm often unpicking with therapists for my son about like, well, what, um, what is, is, you know, what is he experiencing and what is he now experiencing because of behaviours that have developed yes. because of something else and kind of trying to unpick that and sort out what needs gently and slowly and helpfully being changed to be more positive experience for him and what do we accept is it is a bit more of uh, just the way he experiences the world and it's it's really challenging it's really challenging it is I mean and I'm also I'm always interested in everything which is one of the the sort of facets of ADHD I'm not interested in everything I'm interested in loads of things yeah the things that I'm not interested in which <laughs> I'm just incapable of, of of dealing with um but so I am also just like intellectually really interested in the idea of both like from a campaigning side mm. you know as a, as a, a neurodivergent woman and seeing how that's underdiagnosed and how gender plays a role in that but also like realizing I find it fascinating to realize that people lots of people don't think the way that I do and mm. I have been assuming that they do and that assumption has caused me quite a lot of pain and practical difficulty um things like um I always write it's write really long emails and have really long responses to things because the way I think is well this is connected to that and without this this doesn't happen and um and I want to know all the details that's really important Mm. to me I've just discovered that lots of people don't like that and find it overwhelming and that's a really I mean that's a really interesting interesting thing for me I could just reply with three sentences and leave all that stuff in my head it's going to save me loads of time (laughs) (laughs) so I'm so curious in general about um has your do you understand your writing process a bit more in within this context as well now definitely and I think I both understand what I naturally do and want to do Mm. also I understand why some you know previous writing uh, though I'm proud of the work has been quite stressful and difficult for me yeah um uh, and and one of the amazing things about this book even though I had no idea ADHD was a thing for me when I wrote the proposal or when the publisher bought it that wasn't what the book was supposed to be about as as I started writing and got that diagnosis I was working with a publisher who was already totally prepared to do things in a way that enabled me Mm. to feel okay in the process but also not just a kind of oh well you know you need this and you need that but hey if we do it this way the end result might be better. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Gosh, that's so interesting. And uh, I've got a number of friends who have now as a, ad, adults have various different um, diagnoses. And it's interesting, you know, some of them have been in jobs for a really long time and realized the reason they stayed was because their manager was so brilliant at, um, at facilitating just not consciously because they didn't even know themselves, but like, but just were brilliant at, um, at facilitating a way that worked best for them. Yes. Um, and and so I think, you know, we can almost um, kind of, I don't know, make a fuss about it in a way of like, you know, I know a lot of people don't understand why people need to, um, to have a name for a way that you process information and things. But it is so helpful um, because there are so many ways that we can support each other. All of us can support each other in the way we work best um, just by perhaps looking at things a little bit differently. Um, 
so can we talk a little bit about um, as well, mothers who write. Now, I have been before the pandemic was desperate to come on one of your writers, mothers who write re retreats. And in fact, I was really, I was really trying to get on one um, when I was finishing Tender, and I really wanted to come, and I couldn't make it work, and it was so frustrating. Um, but so it's it began um, of you taking a small group of women to a remote cottage, feeding them. And giving them lots of space to write. I mean, I mentioned that to a couple of writer friends, and you can just see the delight on their faces when they realise, oh, I could just think about writing, and I don't even have to feed myself. Um, how how did that start out? Well, it was a kind of collision of a few things, which I turned into an idea, which is which is my way. One was just that I really, really, really desperately needed to make some money. <clears throat> um, in a short space of time and I it was because you know I'd been working really hard on the kind of proposal for Earth and that's not something that makes you any money and yep. I was going to be writing for um, an independent publisher you know it, it's not the kind of thing where the advance is going to you know really pay pay you to write it and so I was trying to think about how to live as a writer who needed to spend time and energy writing how to make a living but also it was it was the feeling as a writer of what I needed, mm. what was going to help me. And with I, I used to do a lot of doula work. And with that hat on, the kind of knowing that what I needed was partly informed by being a mother. Mm. Um, it wasn't that I was writing about motherhood or that it was necessarily more or, or less difficult for me than other writers. But what I needed was was different. Yeah. And so I... I just had the idea that I do this writing retreat in a cottage in Wales, put it out there. I didn't really advertise it officially. And within about five seconds, it was sold out. And so I put on a few more. Um, <laughs> and, and one of the things sort of learning from that was that writers loved being together and got a huge amount out of not just hearing about others writing or what they were reading or their process but actually supporting them that mutual yeah. support was beneficial but also that if you took the domestic and kind of managerial burden away and I had to wrestle it away like you are not allowed to put stuff in the dishwasher leave your plate on the table like for 24 hours and because everyone's so uncomfortable doing that yeah but then magically the space that that took up becomes available to think about other things. And so people were writing more, they were having brand new ideas and they were feeling, even though they were working really hard and they were writing, they were feeling rested and restored because that was taken away and they were with others who under, understood. And that felt to me like it was doing something important as well as, mm. as well as, you know, it didn't feel it was like, Oh, this is, you know, this is a nice holiday. It's like, this is, addressing some of the stuff that I think is really screwed up in the world in a very tiny way but I, I kind of always want to be doing that as well oh deeply satisfying and and I can completely I completely see what you mean I I just um I've met yeah met whenever I mention it to anyone that what you were doing yeah it, it's just a, like a light bulb go, goes on like this is what we're missing this is what we're missing we're missing I guess in a way sometimes just being the one that's being nurtured for a change as well Absolutely. Um, there's a one of the writers who, who's come along, um, Sarah Langford, said to me, you always give me a teaspoon just before I realise I need one. 
and it's just because I noticed that she has I can't remember honey in her tea or something and then so I just have it there and that's part for me as a mother it's like anticipating needs mm. and doing all of that having someone doing that for you is just it's so <laughs> it's so unusual I think as a in a way as a grown woman to have that done for you and not to say a disservice to any of the partners out there because I'm sure there are lots of really wonderful partners um but that attention to detail is not necessarily always there um and it's funny as someone I lost my mother you know when I was in my early 20s and um so I've not had a sort of I guess home to go back to as an adult and I know some of my friends occasionally do that where they um they go and get supported by somebody else and just that feeling that you could experience that feeling of being mothered again by somebody else but in um in a in an environment of writers which is yeah and and quite sort of you know have some big conversations those kind of uh, you know, I, I went to university and I remember those conversations you'd have with people you clicked with intellectually at university. Um, and I've, I've found that I've had those kind of conversations again on the retreats because we're not only seeing each other for two hours and we've got to catch up on new, like we're together for a period of time and, and with a permission to talk about ideas yeah. and things. And that's, it's like a good, it's a good exercise for my brain. It's so interesting, isn't it? I think you're right. Something magical happens when you get past having one meal with someone. Mm. Um, when you can get to two, three, four meals, something happens and the conversations start to change and get deeper and get more specific and more narrow. Um, and I do, I love that about spending time away with people um, where there's, you, you somehow get beyond the catch up into Absolutely. something else. So obviously with the pandemic that had to kind of be put aside <laughs> for a time, but Mother's Who Write is now evolving into something um, else. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was, you know, and it was difficult. We, we'd sort of set up a huge amount of writing for retreats for last year. Um, uh, and that was going to be, you know, how I wrote my book and, and they couldn't go ahead. And it was so really difficult for those people who'd booked. They, they were really thinking of it as a lifeline. And so one of the things that I've been thinking about is, well, look, I'm never going to be able to do enough retreats to, to, to service this need. Also, it's, it's really, um, I love doing it, but it, it's a, it takes a huge amount. Yeah. Out of it. It's not something I can do even once a month. Um, so I was trying to think how this, how the, what I'd learned from it could be more um, widely applied. And so we've, my husband is a filmmaker and so he's really good at, at, at thinking about content. And so we've, we've come up with the idea of we'll still do some writing retreats, but we'll, and we'll still do some in-person events when we can, but bringing the idea of a community of writers who happen to be mothers together online, facilitating ways for them to support each other through knowing that, that the support going in both directions is, is mm. important. Um, having the chance to do sort of online retreats and masterclasses for those who, who sort of want that dedicated time to focus offering some kind of one-to-one support, but also trying to provide a sort of home where you can, um, everything you kind of need as a writer is there with no fuss, you don't have time, you know, (laughs) Um, and and, and it's there in a community of people who understand that's built by um, other writers who happen to be mothers. And and is one through which also writers can um, make money, you know, Mm. which which is a, a slightly, you know, dirty word, but, 
not being able to make enough money to make your you know have the time for writing is a huge issue for, for writers it is a huge barrier to being able to write yeah uh, and i think we need to talk about that i think it's really really important to, to talk about that um you know um we're both freelancers who have done freelancing in lots of different things <laughs> over the years and and this is how we've both been able to keep writing um and not everyone has the same and i think as well i was so excited to hear about how um mothers who write is expanding because um retreats are incredible and amazing and i'm desperate to go on one can't wait um but you know they're not accessible to everybody and they're also not for every stage of of um of being a mother because you know not everyone can you know, leave their children for four days or something. Um, and so this idea that you can harness some of that same community spirit, but within the specificity of the challenge of being a mother um, is so wonderful because I think that, I think you're right. It's not, it's not that it's more challenging. It's just that they're very, they're very unique challenges. Um, and I think personally what I see amongst other mothers who write is, you know, one of the big problems is permission. Um, and this idea that um, that that you're allowed to do something that isn't going to give you immediate cash, for instance. Um, and I think we do often give ourselves permission to go off and earn an income, um, but we don't always give ourselves permission to do things that um, may or may not earn us money, you know, a bit further down the line. But we're doing it because there is a deep sense of purpose that we get from it. Yeah, I, I really I think that is permission is a is a huge issue and I think the way that it intersects with the kind of uh, I've, I've either I've got to work because I've got no choice I have to work or I want to work but also the way that you give yourself permission to write then is well it it's the extra thing I do and so it, it can often be really exhausting mm. you know a, a lot of writing mothers I know are completely exhausted mm. because they are they they are they're doing they're writing a book like it was a hobby you know <laughs> it's not a hobby it's really 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 hard and intense work and also quite i think whatever you're writing it takes a lot from you emotionally yeah, it does yeah bravery and focus and um and and i think the way that that a lot of writing mothers can't find it very difficult to make money from their their writing is is part of that problem um you know because um you have to do so many other things to just fund the time that you then carve out early in the morning or late at night or in intense bursts and and, and i think that's a structural problem that affects obviously the more minoritized you are, yes, the more, yeah, the more exactly. And, yeah. and so one of the other things about Mothers Who Write that I really feel strongly about is that we have to be building something that has the space in it to offer funded places, funded memberships, concessionary places and memberships, and is also making sure that we create a vehicle through which people can um, monetize. I mean, I hate that word. It's a terrible word, but that they can the thing they are already working on really hard is is one of the things that can bring them the income they need to have the time to do it which is 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 true of almost everything else that we do work-wise i know and somehow because it's writing and because it's something that we feel quite passionately about um 
it's often um, sidelined as well. You know, I'm just lucky to be able to do it rather mm. than, no, no, actually it also does need, I do need to get paid in order to set aside the time. And it was interesting, like going through the process of selling a book and writing and the, um, the um, advance thing, um, you know, I really did have to sit down as a single parent. I had to sit down and work out, well, what's the minimum I could accept that I could give myself the time I know I need to write the book I want to write, which, you know, had loads of interviews and research and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. It's very time consuming. It's not just the writing, mm. as you know. And, um, and so, yeah, so I had to sit down and do the numbers. Yeah. Um, and it's really, really important. And I was really fortunate that uh, I was able to shuffle my other freelance work around to make room for that. But I would have, I would have not been able to do that with a very, very tiny advance. No. And, and I think you can look at almost every part of the publishing process and find a way that it is stacked against anyone who doesn't have quite a lot of money. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, anyone that doesn't, has complicated childcare arrangements. Anyone who has children and has to care for them. Um, uh, and I've been putting my foot down about various things, not with my publisher who are wonderful, but mm. with, with the publicity stuff. So yeah. you know, the expectation that I will write for major outlets for a, a less significant fee to promote my book. I will not do that actually. Um, yeah. And I, I've, 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 I've refused. I want the per word rate, you know, yeah. it's different. If you're, if you're, if you're getting a hundred thousand pound advance, then maybe, but that's not the publishing world that we live and work in. No, really. no, it isn't. And also I think as well, when you're writing an original piece for a yeah. publication, they're not lifting it from your book. You know, they're not taking an excerpt they're, if they're, you're writing an original piece, that's very much timed, targeted, you know, it's, it's a piece that you would have, they would have wanted to publish anyway. It's just that you happen to be promoting a book within these th this three-week period and so they want it for free. And you do have to be very strict about it. You do, particularly because if, if I, there are some things that I could just about manage to do for free, but there are lots of people who couldn't and therefore yeah. their books won't be promoted and therefore yeah. they won't get a book deal because they, were, they aren't able to do that. Yeah. And I think if we don't insist on that kind of thing, then it's always the people who can afford to pay their own train fare into London, yeah. you know, take the time, who will get on the television and the radio and get the pieces in the papers. And, and that's just not okay. So it's funny, um, I've got a paperback coming out in a few weeks. I've done a lot less this year, just from sheer, quite frankly, exhaustion from the past year. But last year, bring out a book during lockdown and the PR that I was doing for it, um, I was actually legally not allowed to shoot but in the first lockdown at all. So I had to furlough my photography work. So I did have the time, not that a furlough as a freelancer is really anything, by the way. <laughs> it's not anything like what you would usually earn. Yeah. Um, so it does not pay bills. But, um, but I did, I just put aside that time and I remember thinking, I remember panicked, emailed my accountant and said, am I allowed to work for nothing um, when I'm furloughed, otherwise you're gonna have to take me off furlough because um, I can't have spent the last year and a half pouring my heart and soul into this book and not be able to speak to anyone publicly about it. Um, but luckily, yes, I was allowed to do a bit of work free and then I did come off furlough to write a few pieces. But um, but I, I mean, I did full time, I would say full time PR probably yeah. for about six or eight weeks pretty much, yeah. squeezing in a tiny bit of paid work here and there. And I think that's... Um, that's the kind of aspect of, of publishing that, is, that makes it very, very inaccessible to a lot of people to be able to put in that dedicated time to the PR. And, and, and 
you know things like um this is quite specific but this is a you know this is a a, a podcast about writing but you know the way that advances and then selling on rights and things are structured which that's how you hope that you're making you're building a sustainable income mm. not very many people are getting paid big whacks of money to write their yeah. book but you hope that it will continue selling on backlist and you'll make royalties and it might be sold but you know the actual work that's needed to do those things and the fact that that money is all coming off the advance yeah. you know, i'm going to make a decision about a really amazing exciting opportunity that i really want to do and is enormously beneficial but if i do it it's going to involve uh working intensively over the summer holidays and not seeing a penny yeah <laughs> You know, yeah. and, and those that, are really that. difficult choices to make. They're really yeah. difficult choices. And it's mm. funny, in, in terms of the advance, one thing that happened with me, which I think is important to talk about, because if there are anyone out there at the moment who are selling nonfiction books or about to try and sell a nonfiction book, um, my publisher was incredible. In the end, she got me 50%, 25, 25, instead of a third, a third, a third, um, in terms of when you get the advance. That 50% yeah. advance instead of the 30% made all the difference to me yeah. be able to spend much more time actually writing the book <laughs> um and i think in terms of negotiating that's something for people to remember to talk to their agents about or if you're going direct because um sometimes they might not be able to give you more money but there might be a tiny bit of wiggle room about how much like how they allocate the advance absolutely and uh, we did exactly the same with my publisher yeah. for this uh which i hope is not indiscreet to say uh, <laughs> but i think that is a reasonable thing to be asking for mm. normally it's split into three payments and um, sometimes four for some people with yeah, paperback absolutely yeah. and so then it's you know um is it possible to move that because in my life i can't manage the time to work unless i have some money to do it which yeah. i mean it is actually kind of an unusual thing to say in this in this world <laughs> Oh, it's really obvious, isn't it? It is, and it's a, and I um, my publisher was incredible, and she is also a mother, and was I was like, well, I need to pay for childcare so I can write this book. And she yeah, said, of course you do. Right, I'm, I'll be back. I'll be right back to you. And then she came back with the with the um, the rearrangement, and it, yeah, fantastic. I think it's another reason why not everybody likes working with an agent, but I love having an agent, and also an agent True. who's a mother who understands because yeah. I don't have to have those conversations that I find quite stressful. Yeah, with and. and and also she's able to help me work that stuff out. She's like, it's not really about what you're being paid here. It's about how the money gets to you and yeah, when. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not always about the final number. It's often about how you can make it work yeah. as you're writing. Absolutely. And, and, and then you have the time and the space to write, throw yourself into something, you know, like writing Earth is something that, was an incredibly difficult and intense thing to do and and I couldn't have done it had I not had a really supportive publisher and things been set up in a certain way um uh, and so it's not a sort of grubby nuts and bolts uncreative conversation like it's actually a like a radical act of creativity to exactly. say it facilitates money. <laughs> yeah it facilitates the creativity and I think that's why these conversations are so important and it's so much a part of writing I think um, we think of it as a separate thing and it's not, it's all intertwined. Um, if I hadn't got the advance I got, I would not have been able to spend the time doing the work and doing, I think I did 40 interviews. I don't think I could have done that without the advance because that was, that was actually one of the really time consuming bits. Um, one, the, one of the wonderful bits, but one of the very time consuming bits. But um, 
But oh, this has been such a brilliant conversation. Thank you so much. We've covered lots of different things. Um, but um, Ali and I always like to talk about what we've been reading um, this week. Do you want to do you want to start off and let me know? Or oh, it doesn't have to be this week. It can be in the last few weeks. Yeah, um, you have just been published in publicity mode, so you might not have been reading. Well, I haven't. I haven't been doing loads of really sort of um, uh, wide ranging reading at the moment because I've my brain has been very much on 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 publicity mode. So I picked up Jane Eyre again. I've been re oh. reading Jane Eyre. Um, uh, it was one of like ultimate comfort books. Um, yeah. And um, so I've been reading that. I've been reading some poetry. It's from one of my go-tos. Um, uh, amazing book um, uh, by Camille um, Dungy or possibly Dungy, who's an American uh, poet. Um, and um, I absolutely love absolutely love her work um i've also um i've just in fact got this book that has just arrived i'm about to start reading which is called born between crosses by um, oh. natasha carthew and it's all about um, an exploration of rural working women oh fantastic so, um, it really i mean i'm flicking through it now there's there's poetry in here um in fact it's mainly poetry i just can't i can't wait to sort of dive into that one um i've got a really huge towering guilty to be read pile um so i'm i'm going away for half term and i'm going to take a few things off there <laughs> excellent excellent um no need to feel guilt you're you're um you've got a lot going on at the moment i this week have um read lots of different things um but one something completely different um, but I think really great in the context of what we've just been talking about. Um, we Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. Mm -hmm. And um, it might not be necessarily always the kind of thing that someone might pick up. You know, um, she's an American business coach. Um, she is um, a black woman and very passionate about um, women earning money and earning the money they need to change their life. So not just tiny amounts of money and not just getting by, but life-changing amounts of money. And it's a great book. If you have some difficulties around the idea of earning more money, that you deserve to earn more money, that there are more important things in this world, um, then this is a book for you definitely to pick up because she's incredibly encouraging. Um, and it's also incredibly, um, you know, sensitively written and very intersectional and very understanding about the various different nuances of where people have brought their kind of um, money hang-ups, I guess, from. Um, so it's brilliant. Highly recommend it. Oh, that sounds great. I'm going to have to get that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much uh, for being here with me today. Um, Ali was very sad to miss it. Um, Earthed is absolutely incredible and um and everybody i think every everyone should read it it's um something we didn't even touch on actually it's just the incredible way that you wove through um the idea of the women who have been on the land before you um which was one of my favorite aspects of the book um so thank you so much for writing it and um <laughs> and um and thank you so much for being here today Oh, it's been wonderful. Take care. You've been listening to Not Too Busy to Write with Ali Miller and Penny Windsor. You can find show notes, including the best ways to get in touch with us, as well as any reading recommendations mentioned in the episode at nottoobusytowrite.com. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe 
And please go ahead and leave us a little review. It really helps others to find the podcast. You can find Ali on Instagram at Ali underscore Miller underscore writes and Penny at Penny Windsor. Music and editing is by Ewan Miller McMeekin. <laughs>